Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Holy Human with Leanne Rimes is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Holy Human Podcast. This episode is a marathon of a conversation. So don't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> Get ready. And I guess that's pretty fitting because my guest is an expert on optimizing productivity and human performance. Stephen Kotler is an award-winning journalist, best-selling author, and he joins us today on Holy Human. Stephen Kotler, thank you so much for joining me on the Holy Human Podcast. I'm excited to have you on. I stumbled upon your book, The Art of Impossible, randomly, and I fell in love with it. It was really, really interesting to read. And so I just want to dive in with you, if you don't mind, because I have a zillion sure. questions. <laughs> sure. When you talk about impossible, how do you define the impossible? Because I feel like that can be very personal for each and every one of us. So... The way I think about it is just sort of maybe the way I experienced it. When I started my career as a journalist, I was interested in those moments in time when the impossible became possible, when stuff that had never been done before literally got done for the first time. And this could be in sports, this could be in science, this could be in technology, 
for 25 years, when, whenever there was a sci-fi technology that turned into a science fact technology, the first bionic body part, the first artificial vision implant, the first private spaceship, I was there trying to figure out what the hell's going on. How did you guys just do this or gals? But what I learned, the lessons I learned, and at the heart of the book, The Art of Impossible, they're all lessons learned from people who have accomplished capital impossible. They're meant to be applied by anybody interested in what I call uh, lowercase i impossible. Those okay. things we think are impossible for us. The example I give in the book is I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio in the 1970s. It was a blue collar steel mill town. Right. And from the time I was a little kid, I wanted to be a writer. And I didn't know any writers. I didn't know how you became a writer. There was no internet. There were no books. There was no, it was like I woke up one day and went, mom and dad, when I grow up, I'm going to be an elf. No, 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 a <laughs> hobbit. I'm going to be a hobbit, right? I mean, like that was, for all I knew how to get there, that was a lowercase uh, I impossible. Overcoming deep trauma, rising out of poverty, becoming world-class at anything, right? Mm -hmm. Stamp collecting, music, I don't care what it is. Becoming a successful artist, becoming a successful entrepreneur. These are all lowercase I impossibles. The one thing I want to, the caveat I want to sort of tack on the end of this is I say a lot that peak performance is nothing more or less than getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. So the cool thing is this. If you're interested in capital I impossible, that which has never been done, well, that's what our biology is good for. We're designed to go after those kind of big challenges. So fantastic. The same biology is what gets us to go after small eye impossible. It's the same, it works, the same toolkit. But if you're listening to me and you're like, dude, shut the hell up. I'm just trying to get through Monday. Man, right. I did like this Monday. That's a, okay? that's a small right? eye impossible. Right? And a lot of people like for some people, right? <laughs> so the cool thing is it's the same biology. The toolkit is the same. So that's what, you know, that's why it's worth learning a little science along the way with this stuff because it gives you sort of a foundational toolkit and you can apply it to whatever, you know, I want to get along with my kids a little better. I want to be a little more productive at work. I want to become a writer. I want to, you know, surf hundred foot waves. Take your pick. Right. What, so your original impossible was becoming a writer. Is there a, what's your impossible now? So I'm 54 and there are about 11 biological reasons why it should be impossible <laughs> for somebody my age to learn how to park ski. Um, I don't know if you know what park ski no, is. No, I was going to say, what is that exactly? Jumps, rails, um, rail slides, box okay, slides, got it, got jumps, it, it. hips, X game stuff. Right. Um, and there's there's like 11 different biological reasons why that. And But there's <laughs> all this new – there's a new field called peak performance aging. And it's mm -hmm. legit. It's not like blue zone, how to like have happiness and well-being until you're in your 90s. It's literally how do you kick ass till you're 80 and 90. Right. And there's a whole bunch of new discoveries in, in kind of cutting edge neuroscience fields like embodied cognition and things like that, mm -hmm. that are pointing at, hey, wait a minute. Like those reasons that it's impossible for a guy like me, my age to learn how to do this. Maybe they're not. Maybe that's not true. There's not enough to write like a definitive book, but there's definitely enough to <laughs> run a living experiment. So that's what I've been doing for the past year is trying to learn how to park ski. I've had 85 days on the hill. I've done quite a bit of damage to my body along the way. <laughs> um, and But I've also made um, more progress. Some of the people I'm working with, I've coached 
Olympic athletes and things like right. that. So like I've made more progress than I thought than anybody thought was possible, including me. We were, were all like, holy crap, look what you can do with this stuff in a year. So that's been right in front of me. And there's always, you know, half a dozen ongoing projects at the, at the Flow Research Collective on kind of the neurobiology of this that are, you know, big challenges that I like. But the, I love no, that. Park skiing is really was was really absurd um, and great fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's like me wanting to, I love boxing and I've always like, that's my next thing. I'm going to be like a female boxer, but I need a really, really good plastic surgeon on hand. I feel like you need a really good doctor on hand when it comes to the beating up that you're going to, that you're doing to your body. I did not until about day 65 of the season. And I got to a point where, and luckily I do what I do. So I called my friend Fred who runs the Human Performance Center in, in right. Santa Fe, New Mexico. and does this for a living. I was like, okay, I have taken it about as far as I can. Now I've got <laughs> like, did I do permanent damage to my shoulder? How fucked is my knee? Right. Pardon my language. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, at least you're having fun doing it. I mean, that's key, right? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, you know, it was so interesting to hear in your book about the biochemistry and neurochemistry of what is behind being driven and staying driven and creating and achieving. Because, you know, why is it so important for us to understand? I, you, I answered a bit of this, but our biochemistry in order to achieve greatness, in order to not just survive in the world, but to actually thrive. So there's no quick answer to this. So I'm going to piece it together. <laughs> I'll take your couple. time. <laughs> All right. Um, you ask hard questions, lady. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. The first thing is what's new in this field and what's really exciting. And what we figured out is you heard me say peak performance is nothing more than getting our biology to work for us or right. against us. It turns out that biology is a limited set of skills. It's not like this never ending thing of things that I have to work with. There's a bunch of skills that we file under the heading of motivation. That's a catch all term. It means intrinsic motivation, extrinsic grit and goal setting, but we call it motivation science. Okay. There's a bunch of learning skills. There's a bunch of creativity skills. And finally, there's flow skills. Flow is the optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and perform our best. That's the full toolkit. And the way I like to think about it is when you face any challenge, motivation gets us into the game. Mm -hmm. Learning allows us to continue to play. Creativity, especially when you're going after those kind of high, hard challenges. I don't quite know how to get there. I want to become a writer and I live in Cleveland, right? right? <laughs> Creativity is how you steer and flow because it's this state available to all of us and it boosts everything. It's optimal performance. And we can come back to what that really is and how it matters. It's how you turbo boost the results, usually beyond all reasonable expectation. That's sort of how the formula to getting toward impossible. That's the formula to getting towards sort of anywhere in peak performance. What's interesting, what's cool, what's new is we've known about elements. I mean, like, hey, you need grit for performance. This isn't right. new, right? Or, hey, you need some motivation or you got to know how to learn. Or, what's cool and new is we've started to figure out is one, this is the full toolkit. And two, it's a system. Mm -hmm. It evolved to work in a certain order in a certain way. And if you use the system in the order that it's designed to work, you get so much farther, so much faster. And with, mm -hmm. so, with a lot less fuss, if you can part the alliteration. But <laughs> caveat, here's the caveat and here's the other side to this. The way I like to explain it is we're designed to go big. We're literally as, as organisms designed to go after hard challenges. But if you don't use the system the way it was designed, there are significant penalties. And I have to explain a little bit more about what do I mean by system to right. talk about the penalties. But let's just start with motivation. 
So the research is really clear on motivation. If you want to be motivated um, for any kind of hard goal, it's not enough to have like one or two things driving you towards that goal. It's like an athlete going towards a physical challenge. They're going to have enough fats and enough carbs and enough proteins. They're going to be well hydrated. They're going to sleep. They're going to do everything they can to charge up every single energy source for the athletic competition. Same thing is true with our psychological energy sources, our motivation. So if you're going after any kind of hard challenges, it's hard here. I mean, 30 years of study, the best of the best in the world, people have accomplished amazing, astounding things in every field. It's hard for everyone. I've never met anybody who has an easy time in this life. And so if it's hard here in general, and it sucks here, but it turns out it sucks worse <laughs> if you sit on your ass Yes. And just like look at life or then it sucks less if you go after huge high heart goals because the system is designed to go after higher goals and it literally is less unpleasant, put it differently. So I, the one thing I have to explain before this is going to make any sense is when right. we talk about intrinsic motivation, stacking yes. fuel sources, right? Yes. There's five big intrinsic motivators, right. curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Mm -hmm. And they're all linked together. Curiosity is literally designed to be built into passion biologically. Passion is designed to be coupled to a cause greater than yourself, which gives you purpose. Mm -hmm. Once an organism has purpose, and this could be a human or a an animal, it doesn't really matter. What do you need? You need autonomy. I want the freedom to pursue my purpose. Mm -hmm. And once you have that autonomy, what do you need? Mastery, the skills to pursue it really well. And if you get all those things right for reasons that we won't go into, they're all flow triggers. So as a result of doing all this, you get a lot more time in flow. That's how the system is designed to work. That's the order it's designed to work in. So anxiety and depression are at epidemic levels right now in the world. Yes, I was wanting to go into this. Okay, so, and there yeah. are, I said earlier, not going big is bad for us. Here's what I mean. There are eight known causes of anxiety and depression. There are two that most people pay the most attention to and they're not exactly accurate. So you hear a lot about genetics. Hey, my brain is screwed up. I can't make enough serotonin. I can't be happy. And the other one is trauma. This really horrible thing happened to me. I can't get over it and I've got anxiety and depression. And let's just point out that one out of 10 adults is gonna get diagnosed with anxiety and depression this year. It's wow. the largest drain on public health coffers and somebody kills themselves in America once every 12 seconds. So we Holy suck. Shit. That's we crazy. suck. We absolutely suck at treating it. Epidemic, wow. and yes. um, we're bad at it. So if the two big causes I said are genetics and trauma, but they're not right. Genetics, if you look at the data, is only fifty percent of the equation ever. It's always my genetics, my early childhood experience, and how I'm living my life today. With trauma, and we all know this, the vast majority of the time, bad shit happens, and you don't get PTSD. You get post-traumatic growth. You. Mm -hmm. Deal with the bad shit. You lift yourself up. You grow and you're stronger afterwards. And we call that life. That's how it usually works. What are the other six major causes of depression? The number one cause of depression is lack of meaningful work. What does that mean under the hood? What do we, when we peel it back and we look at it neurobiologically, it means work that I'm not curious about. It doesn't mm -hmm. give me dopamine that I get from curiosity. It's work that... I'm not passionate about, so there's no dopamine and nor epinephrine. There's no purpose. It's not aligned my purpose or my strengths or who I am as a person. I'm not given the autonomy, the freedom to pursue it the way I want to. And there's no opportunity for mastery. Nothing I'm doing at work is affording me. I'm not learning skills that I will help me achieve my dreams. Mm -hmm. And 
as a bonus, there's no flow. That's yeah. right. So the system is designed to work one way. Right. When we don't use it the way it's designed to work, there's a significant penalty. We call that penalty anxiety and depression. Got it. So, but can you actually have a chemical imbalance and be at a deficiency? Um, or so, do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so what you what you're saying is based on. Um, what I believe, though people will argue this, what I believe is a faulty hypothesis. Okay. And the faulty hypothesis is there's such thing as a normal. There's right. such thing as a, <laughs> right? Like, there, what's the freaking baseline, right? right? I can introduce you to Dr. Ned Hallowell. I was the world's leading expert on ADHD. He's at Harvard. He used to be on my board at an older company. And he will tell you that ADHD is a natural product of evolution and it's actually a superpower if you know how to manage it because it helps you get into flow much more easily. So is ADHD a handicap or is it a superpower? I will tell you that one of the reasons I've written 14 books and had all the success I've had is because I've got a bad case of the OCD and it's fantastic (laughs) for the work I need to do. I've also got ridiculous amounts of anxiety. My best friend who's been my editor for 25 years looks at my career and he literally calls it the empire that fear built. (laughs) So, right, Uh, you know this as well as I do. Every successful person I've ever met is running away from something just as fast as they're running towards something because it's really hard to get any place good. So you you need all the motivation, right? You need to learn how to take that fear and use this as a motivator because it's a fantastic motivator. Get focused for free. That's amazing. Right? Like I'm hanging for free. Cool. All right. We are going to pause for just a second and catch our breath, but we'll be right back with the dynamic Stephen Kotler. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease you deserve a moment to yourself every single day and a delicious bite of a keebler sandies can give you that comforting pause (sighs) don't forget to pack the melt in your mouth magic of a keebler sandies for a post errands pick me up this magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by ernie and the keebler elves so as life continues to fly by make the most of your me moment Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from life, you know that. His business is failing. His house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. 
We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger, and we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. Welcome back, loves. Stephen Kotler was just taking us on a whirlwind tour of explaining how fear often morphs into motivation. Every book that I write, uh, there's always a communication challenge. I got to teach you something. There's always a style challenge. I got to pick the right style to teach it to you in. And then there's a secret challenge, something you never saw. That is something that scares me about the book. My book, Bold, for example, every business book I've ever written, I think sucks. Terrible. I think they're awful. <laughs> and I'm a, Why? Punk, ro- I'm a Why? punk rocker from Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> I am not a business guy. So when Bold came my way, I was like, oh my God, I got to write a business book. I want to write a business book that doesn't <laughs> suck. Right. It took me the longest time when I was on Wall Street, when uh, some of my early flow work started happening and I pulled into Wall Street. We do, I do so much work on Wall Street now. It's silly. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, I was always like, do you have any idea who's standing in front of you? Like, do you have any idea? Like what? I, you, you literally tried to beat me up all through high school. Like I guarantee Oh my it. God. That's hysterical. I feel that way too. So, I mean, especially just starting this podcast, you know, you talk a lot about the challenge skills, sweet spot, you know, for performance and starting this podcast was terrifying for me. I mean, I've well, only it, done like, it, it's, it's one of the things that no people don't get. If you see people on stage, they don't understand that every single medium is different. I always tell people, I got my ass kicked on television for 10 (laughs) years. 10 years, I'm sure you did too. Until you can figure out how to talk that fast and answer that question. Like in 30 seconds or radio. Radio's twice as fast as normal life. And like the hosts are not particularly nice. So if you talk more than like 31 seconds for the answer and you like, right, if you're like, they're going to, you're going to get shouted down. Completely. I mean, yeah. And I started right? so young that I guess it was a good thing. I've always said it's a good thing because I didn't really have any expectations or experiences ahead of time to to kind of compare things to. And I was able to to flow into each little, you know, to radio, to television. I learned it You're, as I yeah, was going. Yeah, you were much more talented than I, I was. I and I was also, a- <laughs> I, yeah. I, the other it thing scares is I, me. I, I, all of it, I was an extreme introvert. I've always been. Yes, I, so, I agree. <laughs> so it just so happens that like, I have found that when I'm on the set, the center of attention, it helps me turn my brain off. So every now and again, I'll play extrovert. I'll get on stage and give a speech mm-hmm. or, you know, all that, that kind of, that kind of thing. I can play extrovert. Sometimes it'll work. Um, so all that stuff was really hard for me. I was like, oh my God, there's like 11 people with cameras and they're all looking at me. I get it. I hate I get these it. Well, people. I- I feel like I'm very introverted too. I've made the joke, like I picked the wrong profession because really I do feel like I'm an introvert and being, I love that you say playing an extrovert because that's really kind of what I do all the time. Being down in this pandemic, you know, for a year and a half, I haven't been off stage for that long since I was 13. Like I've performed, you know. Oh, so by the way, A, I have you beat because I haven't been off stage since, um, during the pandemic, since I was 11. Because I started well, doing professional magic when I was 11 and oh, I was doing right. like bar mitzvahs and birthday parties that's and I was right. on stage at 11. I was that's also right. an introvert. 
Um, well, I was I hate, talking I, about professionally since I was 13. I've been uh, on stage since I was five. Well, I was getting paid. <laughs> oh, I was getting paid. You said Solid. professionally. I was getting paid. Solid. I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so you talk about magic. Like, how did magic play into this for you? Like, that was that was kind of your opening. It was what was amazing about magic is good magic, really good close up. If even when you know exactly what's going on, like you have mm-hmm. expert level, I know what's going on. Real good magic. A, you you won't see it, and B, it will look like actual magic. Like it looks mm-hmm. like legit. You're like, what? I know all this shit, and what the hell just happened? Right. <laughs> I learned that behind every impossible thing you look at, you see there's a skill set, there's a process, mm-hmm. there are steps, no matter how impossible it looks. That came to my advantage when I, as an early journalist, when I first started encountering the impossible, it was covering action sports, mm-hmm. especially in the early 1990s when we had never seen anything like it. But even still, like if you go to an event like Red Bull Rampage, you go actually see the X Games in person. It's one thing to watch it on TV. The camera flattens everything. And it, uh, you go and see the end of the event live. It looks like people are trying to kill themselves. And right. when they don't kill themselves, right, it looks like actual magic. This was action sports in the 90s. They talk about it as the great era of impossible. More impossible things got done in a shorter time period than ever before in athletic history. And the the limits of human performance got pushed farther faster than ever before in human history. And, you know, I had a front row seat. And it was like it was doubly peculiar for me because I was living in Squaw Valley. I knew these people. They were my friends. And I I tell this story in the book. But what caught my attention wasn't just that they were doing the impossible. It was that. Most of the people I knew came from like broken homes and bad childhoods. They had little money. They had very little education, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, lots of risk taking. Mm-hmm. Like normally you put these things together in a community and people die young or go to jail. Mm-hmm. They don't reinvent what's possible for the human species. So what the hell was going on was my initial sort of question that I bought to it. But everybody else was like, oh, it's athletic talent. It's something, right? And I went, uh-uh, I've seen this before. I've mm-hmm. seen things that look impossible before, and there's always a skill set, there's always a process, and I wanted to know what it was. It's sort of what led me into neuroscience. Mm-hmm. It's not just about physical skills. Mm-hmm. There's something else going on. There's something mental going on. I want to understand that. Because I was on the hill, I was skiing with these, these same people, and I could see what they were doing, and it was the mental game was most of it, and I wanted to know how that worked. Yeah, the mental game is so much of it. Absolutely. You, know, you talk about these the five intrinsic drivers in stacking. Can you get that stack? You you said you can get it wrong. How do we get it wrong? What's a common not like a common way well, to get that a wrong? really a really common one, especially in today's world. Because so two things. There two. There's two answers I'll speak to because I think they're relevant here. The first is in today's world for a lot of probably very admirable reasons, Mm -hmm. we have fetishized passion and purpose to a level that is um, almost absurd. Mm -hmm. We have a rule at my company, which is have a passion and have a purpose and keep it to your damn self, Um, (laughs) right? And I mean that both because the science of goal setting tells you that you want to keep those things to yourself. They're more powerful until you've actually achieved success in your goals, keeping them to yourself is way more powerful. It keeps more motivation inside. So every time I meet somebody who starts a meeting, hi, my name is Sally and my passion is, I think, one, you're lying. 
you're lying to me. That's not actually your passion. Because if, if that was really your passion, I would freaking know. You're telling, you're faking it till you make it. Mm. And I don't, so one, I don't believe you. And two, I think even if that is your passion, you just literally drain motivation out of your system, drain dopamine out of your system and are now going to have a harder time achieving your passion. So I think that's a disaster talking about your passion, talking about your purpose. But biologically, why do these things matter? They matter for the same thing I said earlier. You get focused for free. That's the big deal. The brain is a, is a huge energy hog. It uses 25% of our energy at rest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's 2% of our body mass, 25% of our energy at rest. Almost a quarter of what we eat. And if we're trying to do something hard, it's like half of what we eat is going to our brain power. Right. What does the brain spend most of that energy on? It spends a lot of it on focus. So if you are curious about something, focus for free. Mm-hmm. If you are passionate about it, Think about romantic love. That's neurobiologically mm-hmm. the same as I'm passionate about my writing or I'm passionate about my music. Think about like the first time you fell in love or a reason how much you couldn't stop looking and thinking about the other person. Did you, were you expending energy to do that? Or was it like doing right. homework? It had, you couldn't stop it. It was it obsession, Right. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that's, there's the fine line. Fashion and obsession is essentially you're splitting hairs, right? right? right, right we right. call it obsession if we think what you're doing is unhealthy, right? <laughs> right? We call it passion if we like it. But True. I don't know what you're like when you're recording an album and maybe makes albums anymore. So I'm dating myself, but like, <laughs> no, no, when, we still I, do. <laughs> right, when I record it, when I'm writing a book, a large chunk of the time, you could call it passion. You could also call it legitimate insanity. Oh, right. For sure. Like if the book isn't going well, it's that like what is madness or what is uh, passion gone sideways? You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't I like so um, purpose, which gets super mystified these days. Curiosity is a little bit of dopamine and a little bit of norepinephrine. Those are the pleasure chemicals that make us feel excited and give us that focus for free. Passion is a lot of norepinephrine and dopamine. Mm-hmm. Purpose is norepinephrine and dopamine at passion levels plus pro-social chemicals like anandamide, serotonin, and endorphins. These are the chemicals that underpin social bonding. So uh, endorphins, right? Mother-child love, those mm-hmm. are underpinned by endorphins. Friendships, deep friendships are underpinned by endorphins. Uh, oxytocin is, is the so-called cuddle chemical, the trust chemical. Serotonin is that warm, I'm open to you and your ideas kind of feeling etc etc you're getting more feel-good neurochemistry you're getting more focus for free that's the big deal here there's no like it doesn't have to be super mystical and super weighty you're Mm -hmm. just playing games with neurochemistry so that's meant to sort of take the pressure off i think people feel a lot of pressure and the most important thing is neurobiologically the system is designed to work in order and it's designed to work slowly We're not Uh. built as organisms to discover our passion overnight. That's not really how it works. Right. Passions are built slowly over time. And where I see the biggest mistake, especially in younger people, or so at the Flair Research Collective, we 30 to 40% of our clientele are women in their 40s to 50s, usually powerhouse women Mm -hmm. who parked their career for a while to raise a family and now are getting after it again. 
And they are like, they like, they're like, okay, I'm, I, I parked everything. I give me my goddamn passion. I want it right. now. Right. <laughs> I want it now. Let's fix it now. Right. Like and it. like, I'm like, you, you, you guys are ferocious. Um, yeah. And I really like that, but it's, but, d- you don't but dial it back. And <laughs> dial it. Well, you don't, because the, the thing that where you, where you really don't want to screw this up and you'll get this immediately is you do not want to be two years into your passion to discover, oh shit, it was only a phase. Mm. And that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. Curiosity is designed to be built into passion. Passion is really the intersection of multiple curiosities, but you have to like figure out, I am curious about this. I'm curious about this. It intersects here. You play there. You learn a little bit. You grow a little bit. Then you find another passion, another intersection. And that's how you grow it. I have a friend who will go unnamed <laughs> who <laughs> discovered in at around 37 that it turned out Med school and all that. No, it didn't matter even that she was massively in debt. She was supposed to be an archaeologist and that oh, wow. was her real passion and her real calling. And yeah, signed up for a two-year dig in Egypt and got like three months into the dig and what a oh, shit. I got it wrong. And I've like literally committed. There are people depending on me. And yeah, so she's still in Egypt, not particularly thrilled about it. <laughs> That's that's so interesting. You know, I started singing so young. I mean, obviously I had a, a natural gift and I have recently started asking myself after 25 years of this, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? What are my other passions? Because for a long time, I don't think I thought I had any other passions. And I'm now at 38, like asking, starting to ask myself that question of like, what else am I passionate about? And how... Because that's really been the only thing I've been focused on my whole life. But it, I mean, there's whatever it is that you choose next, even if it's so far away from singing, right? <laughs> do it for five to seven years and suddenly, you know, you're going to be like, oh, wait, I can blend this with singing, right? Like, oh, oh, totally. you know what I mean? Absolutely. In my head, there's a version of me that's like, okay, I could do a stage magic show. Yes, and I where do. We could have action sports <laughs> totally. and magic, and we could explain the neuroscience of people. I mean, that shit happens all the time in my brain. I just yes. haven't, like, done it, but, like, sooner or later, yeah, Vegas, I here I that's, come. <laughs> that's exactly where I'm at with it, too, is, like, how how do I start to blend all of these things together, you know, and the thing well, that I already do. also... Real heroes of mine, um, give you an example from music. Tom Waits is a, is a giant hero of mine. And one of the reasons he does things with language that very few other people are doing, he does things with music that very few other people are doing, but he's reinvented himself over and over. And he has mm-hmm. had the longest career. And I'm super impressed with lifelong creative careers. Because yes. it's so hard. Because you have so to reinvent hard. yourself 9, 10, 11 times And so when I see that and I see somebody who is even late decades in life are doing like truly amazing creative things, Stradivarius built two of his best violins in his 80s, right? That's interesting to me. How do you do that? And I think one of the ways you can do that is you have to kind of keep reinventing yourself a little bit by discovering, okay, this is another passion. This is how it feeds into the old, right? You got to keep doing that. And with that, we are going to take another very quick break, but we'll be right back very soon. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. 
Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by Brain MD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from life. You know that. His business is failing. His house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger. And we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. Hello, my beautiful friends. We are back with performance and flow expert Stephen Kotler discussing why reinvention and passion often go hand in hand. That's why, like one of the reasons I learned to park ski at 53 is I have never been able to think really kinesthetically, physical, Mm -hmm. like, right? Right. And I wanted to know how does my writing change when I add an entire new kinesthetic language ah. to my life, there's a bunch of interesting things that start happening to your brain in your 50s that are that they result in superpowers if you do it right and they go horribly wrong if you do it wrong. <laughs> and so I'm trying to do shit right. Um, interesting. And, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I, I do want, I want to get into flow with you a bit because you're, you're skiing. I actually took up tennis a couple of years ago and I have found it's one of my favorite things to do. I do it twice a week and I am so in flow on the tennis court because it's the one place that I really go to just have fun. There's no expectation. Like I'm learning and I'm good at it and I, I just truly enjoy it. It was something that I needed in my life that I didn't know I needed to give me the high of the same kind of high that I get on stage. I get on the tennis court, but for different reasons. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I totally get like adding, adding those things to your life. 
how they change you and how you see the world and how you, like you're saying, it can change your writing. For me, it's given me an outlet to to express myself and, and play in a different way that I didn't have. So it, it definitely intertwines and plays into the rest of your life when you discover those pieces. Yeah, and it's also like, if you have to be an expert all the time, which essentially you do, right. <clears throat> it's really fun to be a beginner again, mm-hmm. right? It's really, really fun to not like... I can look as bad as I want to. Right. Right. You, you, you're not allowed to judge me here because this is not like, this is not the judging arena. There's right. a different, there's a judging arena and that's fair. Cause I, I put myself there and said, I'm going to make a living here. Right. I, that's one of the reasons park skiing was super fun for me. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I'm 53 years old. I'm an author. I run a neuroscience research institute. <laughs> there's zero reason whatsoever you could ever expect anything out of this. I love it. Yeah, that's very, very true. I So, so flow for, for, you know, that's become like a very big buzzword. And I would just love to hear from you your explanation of what that is. Yeah, so let me, um, let's start with the scientific definition and then I'll like, I'll, I'll build out from that because yeah, it'll be useful. Sure. So in the scientific definition, we gave it earlier, it's, it's almost worthless from an explanatory point of view, but it's an <laughs> optimal state of consciousness and this is what's important. We feel our best and we perform our best. So those two components more specifically refers to any of those moments of rapt attention and total absorption. You get so focused on the task at hand, so focused on what you're doing, everything else just starts to disappear. Action and awareness are going to merge. Your sense of self, self-consciousness, the voice in your head, your inner critic are going to diminish, get really quiet. Time is going to dilate, which is a fancy way of saying it passes strangely. Sometimes most common experiences, you get so sucked into what you're doing, right? That an hour goes by and you're like, I didn't notice what happened, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was five minutes. Occasionally, um, you'll go the other direction. You'll get a freeze frame effect. From anyone who's been in a car crash, time will slow down. And throughout all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. And through the roof is not an exaggeration. I'll just throw you some, some I'll talk about what flow does. These numbers are from research done by dozens of different researchers all over the place. Uh, we know that grit, motivation, and productivity will spike 500% above normal and flow. We see uh, creativity, innovation spike 400 to 700%. Uh, the Department of Defense figured out that soldiers in flow learn 240 to 500% faster than normal. Wow. We see empathy go through the roof and flow. In fact, one of the things we're doing now is working with a lot of police forces because mm. Cops want more empathy in today's world, and thank right. God. And yes. <laughs> uh, there's two options. Compassion-inducing meditation will produce empathy, or flow work will produce empathy. And, and trying to teach cops compassion-inducing meditation right. was right. <laughs> flow was better. We'll, we'll do the flow stuff. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Um, so uh, empathy, collaboration, cooperation, those mm-hmm. things. And the most important thing probably is that overall life satisfaction, well-being. Mm-hmm. meaning and purpose all skyrocket and flow. So it's a huge lift. Finally, when psychologists measure flow, mm-hmm. they say, hey, the experience has six phenomenological characteristics. That's a big word. And all it means is this is how the experience makes me feel. And I listed some of these already. So we know we're in flow when there's complete concentration on the task at hand, when action and awareness start to merge, when time passes strangely, when the sense of self disappears. We don't 
have a register that says peak performance, what we feel is like we can control things we normally can't control. This is me as a writer being able to do things at 12 o'clock on a Monday morning with my words that I can't normally do, right? Or a basketball player, suddenly the hoop is as big as a whole hoop, and right, that's that experience. And finally, psychologists use this term, flow is autotelic. It means it's an end in itself. It feels so euphoric, so good, so addictively fun that Mm -hmm. you will go extraordinarily out of your way to get more of it, right? That's what it means. So when those six characteristics show up during a given experience, it's flow. Now, one final thing that I want to explain, because this is very useful for people to understand, it's not a single experience. It's a spectrum of experiences, much like anger, right? You're a little irked, you're homicidally murderous, it's the same emotion. (laughs) You can be in micro flow. So this is when those six characteristics show up, but they're like one or two on a scale of one to 10, right? You you go to work, sit down to write a quickie email to your boss and suddenly you get like so drawn in that you end up writing a huge essay. You look up, two hours have gone by, you didn't notice, and maybe your sense of self didn't totally disappear but bodily awareness did. And when you pop back in your head, you're like, oh wow, I really have to go to the bathroom and you run off to pee. That happens to all of us all the time, right? That's micro flow. Macro flow is the other end of that spectrum. It's when those experiences all show up at once and they're turned up to 11. This is a very powerful experience. Until the 1950s, scientists thought it was a spiritual experience or a mystical experience, meaning it was found in spiritual and religious communities. Right. And it was only in the 50s that we started showing up, flow started showing up in eight populations of atheists people were studying and they went, oh wow, it's not just for religious people, it's for everybody, what's going on? The other end of the spectrum, time will slow down and instead of like the self doesn't just disappear, but you can start to be, feel like you're one with everything. Right. All out of body experiences are common. We understand scientifically now what causes these things in the brain, mm-hmm. um, why they're happening and why they happen in flow. But it doesn't change the fact that when you're, they're happening to you, you're like, what the hell is going on? This is magic. <laughs> It is magic. Well, you say the mystical experience is like, does, is meditation, like being in meditation, is that, are you in flow during meditation or can you be? So no and yes. Uh, Okay. okay. So um, flow is a focusing skill. Right. Meditation is a focusing skill. They are different kinds of focus. Okay. Most meditation systems, uh, whether it's a focused meditation where you're focusing on your breath or an open senses meditation where you're trying to let all things in and you're not judging them, both are phenomenal training for flow because you need attention totally in the the present moment. So there's work going back into the 80s that says, hey, meditation is real. And we train people in specific uh, types of mindfulness practices to help them get into flow. As a general rule, Meditation is like a low-grade trance state. It mimics okay. some of the neurobiological changes in flow. What happens to the brain in flow is like a page long. What okay. happens to the brain in meditation is like half of that page. Got it. Right? And there are differences. And it also, and here's the, there are certain meditation systems. For example, Tibetan tantric Buddhist meditation and Jewish Kabbalistic meditation, both of them involve large amounts of visualization and mm-hmm. like take, imagine this letter in the Hebrew alphabet and turn it into this letter and put it on a five-sided die and manage it, all this stuff. <laughs> and because of that, so there's all this work now that is looking exactly at what happens in the brain during different meditation systems. Right. Those systems 
because there's so much pattern recognition, they produce more dopamine than most other meditation systems. As a result, they may be able to drive us into flow. So unlike, so I can't give you a definitive answer. It depends on what kind of meditation you're doing. Depends how good you are at it. A lot of things like that. That's really interesting. And on that interesting note, we are going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back. I promise. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my character, Gray Parrish, from my new series, Parrish. Yeah, I can drive. My character was a getaway driver. Yeah! I'm retired from a life. You know that. His business is failing. His house is going up for sale. He is the everyman. Tell me about this driver job. We got a lot of action in this show. We have moments of real danger. And we want to feel as if anything could happen. Gray is invited to drive for this man. He's invited to make money, and he quickly realizes this is not the right thing to do. I did what you told me to. And he's in a world over his head. Now, let's go! He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. All right, we were discussing mindfulness and flow with Stephen Kotler. So mindfulness would be like the opposite of flow. No, it's, um, so. Because if you're paying it, I mean, you're in the present moment, but you're still very aware. Okay, so let me show you the difference. (laughs) Okay, okay, so I apologize to anybody who's listening to this who has no interest in neuroscience (laughs) whatsoever uh, because you're about to get some. So in flow, a bunch of different things happen in the brain. One of the main things that happens is the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain Mm -hmm. that's right behind your forehead, basically deactivates. You swatches the prefrontal cortex turn off. Now, this is a really powerful part of your brain. This is long-term planning. Your uh, logical decision-making, sense of morality lives there, Uh sense of willpower also. Um, 
In flow, the brain performs an efficiency exchange. It says, okay, you need all this energy for focus. So let's turn off non-critical structures and reuse the energy for focus on the present moment. That is known as transient hypofrontality. Transient meaning temporary, hypo, H-Y-P-O, it's the opposite of hyper. It means to slow down, to shut down, deactivate. Frontality means the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's right back there. So both flow and meditation. So by the way, let's put this in common terms. Exercise-induced transient hypofrontality, when you're right. playing tennis, about 25 minutes into playing tennis, it starts to get quiet upstairs and yep. your lungs expand. You can breathe a little bit more and it's quieter upstairs. That's exercise-induced transient hypofrontality, front end of a flow state. There's more work that needs to happen in the brain to produce flow, but that's micro. You're, you're now at the edge of micro flow when you're there in, ex in exercise. Probably yeah. happens to you on stage too if you're dancing and you're moving, right? There's probably mm -hmm. a point. Even if you're not in your body and you're not feeling like performing, you're going to get exercise induced transient hypofrontality about a half an hour in and suddenly you're like, oh, wow, I'm in flow. This is great. Right. Okay. So that in meditation, you are trying to forget the self. Right. Let myself. Right. So part of the brain that stays turned off most of the time. And this is a little controversial, but it's an easy way to explain this. The medial prefrontal cortex is the middle of the brain and mm -hmm. It does a lot of different things. It governs creative self-expression. In meditation, you're not doing anything creative. There's no self who's expressing. You're trying to forget the self. So this right. portion of the brain turns off, right? right? In flow, flow is nothing but creative self-expression amplified all the way up to 11. This part of the brain stays hyperactive. Got it. Got it so got it. that's what I mean by there are differences. Okay. In meditation, you will drop the brain into alpha, for example, or theta mm -hmm. and hold it there. Flow is an active state and we're going to bounce all over the brainwave map. We're going to drop into beta and back to alpha, theta and all over the place. And it's really about how you can transition between brainwave states and get back to that baseline. Not can you just hold yourself on that baseline? So there's Got differences. It. But one, meditation is really good for training flow. We live in the world. If you live in a monastery, that's your life. Meditation <laughs> may be for you. But as a general case, if you're trying to live in the world, I think flow is the more powerful tool. And meditation right. is training for flow. There are other people who might invert it, right? Like, for example, yogic traditions. Why do you start physically with yoga? You start with physical yoga to exhaust the body so then you can do meditate, focus meditation afterwards. They right. think because people there are living in monasteries and they, they privilege meditation. So they right. start with the body, put their body into flow, exhaust the brain, and then they meditate because it's easier. Mm -hmm. I, I live in the real world and I'm a goal-directed guy who likes to get shit done. Right. So like I inverted it and that's how I think about it. Got so it. really, so I mean, like no one is not better than the other. It depends on where you're trying to go. Got it. Well, you talk about living in the world and this fast-paced world that we do live in and being goal-oriented. So if someone's listening right now, that is that that's the way they feel. That's who they are. How does one get into a flow state on with that kind of stimulation going on? Mm. Well, that's interesting. So let's just talk about how you get into a flow state first and then yep, let's, let's do it. go to. OK, <laughs> so flow states have triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow. There are 22 that have been discovered. There's probably way more, but there's 22 we've discovered. And. 
they all essentially work the same way. So flow follows focus. It only really shows up when all of our attention is in the right here, the right now, in the present moment, on the task at hand. That's what the triggers do. They drive attention into the present moment, into the right here, right now. They do it one of three ways. They either push dopamine into our system. They push norepinephrine into our system. Both of these, we talked about them earlier a little bit. Mm-hmm. These are, they're perform the neurochemicals are multi-tools. They do a bunch of different stuff right. at once, but dopamine you know, makes us excited. It makes us pay attention. It makes us want to make meaning out of the thing that's happening in front of us. And norepinephrine kind of does more of the same. And basically we just pay attention to whatever's in front of us or these triggers will lower cognitive load. Cognitive mm-hmm. load is all the crap you're trying to think about at any one time. If I lower cognitive load, I liberate a bunch of energy that your brain will then repurpose for paying attention to whatever's in front of you. Right. That's what the triggers do. Some combination of one, two or three of those things. And they come in two varieties because flow comes in two varieties. There's individual flow, me in a flow state, you in a flow right. state, or group flow. This is interpersonal flow, me and you in a great conversation and a couple hours go by and we don't even notice. That's interpersonal flow. This could be group flow, you and your band on stage and everybody's playing perfectly together, perfectly synced, the music is soaring, or it could be group flow at scale, communitas, everybody in the audience is a giant concert when you merge with the band and have the bands yeah. and clapping and sync and we're all one together and right. That's just group flow at scale, communitas. So mm-hmm. there are 10 triggers that we know of for group flow and there are 12 for individual flow. And so if you want more flow in your life, these triggers are your toolkit. Now you asked an interesting question, which is this, what do we do in today's kind of fast paced world? And you actually have to, it's kind of counterintuitive. Flow follows focus. So the most important trigger is uh, complete concentration. Can I swear on your podcast? Yes, please. Okay, <laughs> Feel <good>. free. <laughs> so when I work with, we do a lot of work with organizations. And I, as I said, I'm an old school punk rocker. So you, there's only so much you can do with me. And right. uh, I always tell people I'm not childproof. Don't bring me around your children. Right. I'm not yeah. like, I'm not safe. Um, but like when I walk into organizations, I always tell people, I'm like, look, you can't put a sign in your office door. This is fuck off. I'm flowing. You can't do this work. Like, forget about it. It doesn't like you need complete concentration. And what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. One, distraction management. You want to close your door. You want to turn off your cell phone. You want to turn off messages. You want to protect the container. You want to create an environment that maximizes complete concentration. This also includes having conversations ahead of time. I always tell people this is the most important thing. Flow massively amplifies productivity. You will get time back in your life. Spend more time in flow. The result is you get more time back, but you have to do it a specific way. So I always tell people, talk to your kids, talk to your husbands, your wives, your spouses, your bosses, your coworkers. You get more of me later, but I need this now so I can write that has to be the trade-off. You have to have those conversations out loud. Otherwise, people start like, what are you doing walling me off from the rest of the world for 90 minutes? And here's the other part. How much? How long? The human brain has been designed to focus for 90 to 110, 120-minute periods oh, in the okay. same way that we have REM cycles. 90 minutes okay. to 120 minutes of sleep, to, right. right? Dreaming. Same we have focus cycles. It is the same length. Montessori education is one of the highest flow environments on earth. One of the reasons is it's built around 90 to 120 minute periods of uninterrupted concentration. Mm. We're designed to focus for that long on single tasks. So we tell people when we train people, one of the most important things you can do is 
you want to work, you want to try to work in accordance with your circadian rhythms because it's hard to fight your own biology, right? right? I'm an extreme lark. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, three thirty in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, and I go to work and I'm happy as hell. My wife <laughs> is a night owl. She's not awake till like eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, right? She doesn't oh, well. want to start working till then. Right. So um Try to work in accordance with your circadian rhythms if you can and start your work period, practice distraction management ahead of time, and then 90 to 120 minutes for uninterrupted concentration. So that's like, you know, in a fast-paced digital world, that's a hard thing to do, but it, yes. it's a huge benefit for flow work. How does flow really benefit, like you're saying, I mean, one benefit is, you know, having, being able to give more of yourself, you know, and, and getting some time back in your life. Like what are the other benefits of flow that like spill over into your relationships and other pieces of your life? Well, I mean, relationships, you get more empathy, collaboration, cooperation, (laughs) you know, communication, all sore. When Um, you're not, when you're, even when you're not in flow. So like, yeah, cause there, well, you have to remember that all of those things from a neurobiological standpoint are essentially like their patterns, their synapses. Mm. You're building cooperation, as you know, is a habit. Right. Good c- communication is a habit, right? right, These right. Are, so there's, there's, there's a skill portion of it. Empathy is a, is a skill, multi-perspectival thinking, the ability to see things from other people's perspectives is a skill set. And so when you spend time in flow and you can see it, the, it activates part of your brain that allows you to do it, you're training yourself to be more empathetic when you're out of flow as mm. well. And I always tell people like the more flow you get, the more flow you get. So if you're getting flow on the tennis court, you're probably now getting more flow as a musician. And mm. when I get flow on the ski hill, I get more flow as a writer. Got it. And Got more it. flow as a scientist. How right? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because being on stage, like I know I'm in flow often, but there are, you talk about the prefrontal cortex shutting down. There are so many times where my sense of self is still there. Like I can still judge. I can, everything's going on and I can't shut that off. Is my prefrontal cortex basically not shutting down? <laughs> is that what's happening? That is sort of what is happening. Yes. And I like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different Right, you're outside the challenge skills sweet spot usually, right? Got it. And that's what I was what, wondering. <laughs> yeah, you're, pro, you're it, and it's probably because there's stuff in your personal life leaking in, and or there's too much physical exhaustion. There's mm. stuff in your body, right? Like it's just, it's usually, and it could be something like I was laughing, but decision fatigue. If you've made mm. 50 or 100 decisions during the day, you've now suffered division. And the problem is this, when you burned out a little bit of energy, flow is a high energy state. So when you have something like that, you don't have the energy to kind of get there. You can get there. You sort of have to, You usually physical, like you'll ride the endorphins and you'll probably right. get into flow towards the end of the show yeah. rather than early on, right? Yeah, you, actually, that, yes. Yeah, that makes by sense. that point, you've ridden the physical. So I always say that if I can't get into flow skiing, right, by 16 laps, I'm in flow no matter what. It doesn't matter. Well, at that point, I am so exhausted that my system has to produce endorphins. Mm-hmm. There's other, other things going on, 
But endorphins are like the slowest gateway into flow. Okay. I always feel bad for, this is what in, uh, endurance athletes and, and, and S&M folks have in common. They like to ride the endorphins into flow. <laughs> That's their trigger. And I always feel bad for them because it's a really slow path. Because if you're a trained bike rider, right, a trained cyclist or a trained runner, and uh, you don't, like, you can go out and run 10 miles you're going to have to run like 15 miles to get that like, oh, yeah, now I'm tired. Now it's right. work, right? You're going to have to really push yourself, which is why you'll get into flow at the end of your – you'll just tie yourself out at a certain point and your body will start producing the endorphins and the anandamide and it will walk you in that way. The uh, Interesting. You can shortcut it a little through rituals, pre-show rituals and things yeah. like that. You probably notice that mm-hmm. sometimes, but not always. No, not always. It does work sometimes. But it's interesting that you talk about when you're making decisions all the time. I've noticed that as I'm running a business, I'm constantly answering questions and doing a gazillion things. And then I'm going to go on stage that night. (laughs) And I have noticed there have been over the past several years, many ways I start protecting my energy, knowing that I have to go on stage because it's so important. You know? Oh, no. I mean, it, the yeah, drainage if you, I mean, if is you, if you uh, Like, because I write it first thing in the morning, like, mm-hmm. try to come mess with me after, like, 8.30 at night. Like, ask my <laughs> wife how well could that goes for her, right? right? Or wake me up <laughs> in the middle of the night. See how well that's going to go for you. Yeah, um, I will, like, I am ferocious in terms of protecting energy. Yeah. Just fierce about it. Well, and you're reminding me of that. So thank you. Because I'm about to start going on tour again. I mean, you know, starting to play shows. And you're right. If I'm exhausted from the rest of the day, like it definitely emotionally drained, like any of those things, it definitely plays into well, you how have I'm to, able to the, perform. The, pro- the problem, one of the things is when you've done all that stuff, you have to shift your state before you can get into flow. You have to kick your brain into alpha. So like a focused meditation, a long walk in the woods, a little nap, sometimes a meal, right? So that really is your best, is, is your best friend if you can shift state a little bit. So that really is the key, the first key to, to starting to shift into flow. It, it's not in all situations, but you're talking about a particular situation, right. which is you've had a crazy day and then you have to actually drop into flow to perform and do your job later right. at night. Then you, like state shifting is pretty helpful. Um, Got it. Because you need some kind of a reset. Interesting. This is all fascinating stuff to me. I feel like I could go on and on and on. One last question. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions people have around their potential? It's a great question. I always say that after 30 years of studying this stuff, there's like just a couple of big lessons. One is we are all capable of so much more than we know. And what I literally mean by that is human potential is invisible, especially to ourselves. It's it's invisible for two specific reasons. We only figure out what we're capable of by pushing on our skills to the utmost again and again and again. And that is makes the capability an emergent property. You have no idea, like you got to level up your skills and mm-hmm. that in your, and you'll discover, oh, wow, I'm a little better or a little worse. And then, right, it <laughs> emerges out from that. But it goes even farther than that. This is not my research, but it's overwhelmingly clear. There's a bunch of science that says you will not know what you're going to like or what you're going to be good at until after you try it and start getting better at it, even if you're talking about very adjacent skills. So... 
Let's say, I don't know if this is true or not. Let's say you've never sung opera before. Okay. That's That's an adjacent skill, right? Right. You sing a lot, but you've never sung opera. If I said, Leanne, can you, are you good? Can you sing opera? Will you like it? Literally the research shows that you can't answer the question. I go to LeBron James and say, LeBron, let's say he's never played Batman. He say, LeBron, Mm -hmm. do you think you're going to like Batman and be any good? The research says he can't even answer the question. You're talking about something that's like right next door to what you do. Right. And you don't know if you're going to be good at it or if you're going to like it until after. So that human potential is literally invisible in that way. And we are really all capable of more more, more than I know. I, yeah, I've gone out of my way to meet the most extraordinary people who have lived over the past 50 years. That's what I basically did for a living. And I got to study them. Right. And nobody starts out extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Everybody starts out ordinary. Right. You just become extraordinary. That's it's the same for everybody. I always say the funniest thing about peak performance that's really difficult to understand is that hard work works. Yes, it does. Right. right. Like nobody. It's the one thing you want. Like, you know, when you read the art of impossible and you look at like you get to the end, you're like, okay, there's six things to do every day. And there's about seven things to do every week. And that's what peak performance is. Right. Mm -hmm. Once you do the onboarding procedures, like biologically, you got to do these six things, you got to do these seven things. But it's really all works like compound interest. It's not right. People will occasionally stand up after I give a speech and say things like, what are the three things I can do Monday morning? And my answer is always, if you're asking that question, you're not serious about this work. Mm -hmm. It's not three. Yeah, I can give you three things to do Monday morning, but that's not the point. The point is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, repeat. And where it gets really interesting and really fun is two years in and three years in and five years in. I mean, yes, you'll get rewards three months in and six months in, but it gets cool after long periods of time. Mm -hmm. The final inverse, and then I'll shut up on this. (laughs) But I always like to point this out to people because people forget we never trust our own history. I've been asking for 25 years, I've been asking people to tell me about the thing that happened that you did that really, like once you, the the accomplishment you're proudest of and that when it was done, changed everything afterwards. You learned so much along the way that everything, your performance changed forever. I have never in 25 years of asking the question, I heard somebody say, oh, dude, there was this time I was walking across the bus station. I looked down and there was a lottery ticket. And my life, <laughs> there, it's always like, no, man, I lost my arm in a car crash and my father died and I had to support the kids and go to night school. And it took me 17 years to get my degree. And now I'm Oprah's proctologist and look at me. <laughs> right. I love right? that. Story. I mean, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the grit. It's the it's the day in and day out and the, the grit of it all. I mean, I think that for me, I know how gritty I am. I know how much I just personally have gone through and survived and how I've come out the other side and how I'm thriving in this part of my life and what I've accomplished as a child and how I don't feel like that's even remotely close to what I can. And it's interesting that for me, grit has always been putting my head down and and getting in there and doing the thing, doing the work and daily chasing that high of getting better or accomplishing something, little things on the daily. Especially when mastery leads to flow Mm -hmm. is our favorite high. We like it more than all the other intrinsic motivators. We will take (laughs) flow over sex and drugs. It's the most addictive state on earth. And when it's coupled to mastery, the most difficult thing about, so I always say that, Peak performers know something that everybody else doesn't know, which is always crawl, walk, run. 
There's no shortcut, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what peak performers know. Most people show up in a situation and they're like, oh, dude, I don't, I don't crawl and I don't want to walk. I'm going to figure right. out how to start jogging. And you meet peak performers. And one of the things that people always say is how, like, you look so far ahead. How do you get so, and one of the reasons is they don't dick around at the front end. They're right. like, I know I'm, I'm going to suck. I'm going to suck. I'm going to suck. And one day I'll be better. And they just start into it. And it like, yeah. it doesn't. Right. So there's, there's a lot of time saved on that one. I think just sort of accepting that that's just going to be the experience of embrace the suck, (laughs) but it's also, that's, that's the front end. What the other half of it is experts always know that the ultimate danger is the addictiveness of progression. That's right. Like it's why athletes get hurt. It's why Mm. burnout happens. It's like, Right. Yes. It's super, that's the most addictive thing. And it, things get really wayward when you're chasing progression. Like people make bad decisions for sex and they make <laughs> bad decisions, you know, over drugs sometimes. But man, I have made some really bad decisions in the name of progression. That's crazy. I mean, it's very true. I can, t- I totally understand that from my perspective. Flow is so interesting. Thank you for sharing the bits and pieces that we we discussed here. I'm, I know there's so much to discuss, but I just want to pivot into one thing because I always ask my guests about music and I know you said you love music. So yeah, so I, I, I have I, to tell you, you're an yes. awful person. You're terrible. Why? Because I heard <laughs> that you were going to ask me this question. Yes, my whole five. So well, yeah, so mind you, I have now spent a month on your goddamn question, you mean woman. <laughs> a month. I, I, have, dig into I have got categories. I've got lists. I've got vector diagrams. I love so, you for that. Okay, you're awful. And here, I, so this and is, there, there's, there's only, this is the only way I could do it. <laughs> I have chosen, uh, I had to choose like my favorite song inside categories of music. Okay. And I've not allowed myself to choose covers. Okay. Okay, so those are the caveats, and I've given you a month of my freaking life to get this answer to you. (laughs) So, no particular order, because I can't pick an order, but we'll start with Tom Waits, Cold, Cold Ground. Okay. Cold, Cold Ground by Tom Waits. Rise against uh, re-education through labor. And that's in the punk category. I'm telling you, I'm a huge punk rocker. Interesting, yeah, yeah. This corrosion by the Sisters of Mercy in the okay. like goth category. An old goth. I love you, as the goth well. category. So there's a goth category. Uh, <laughs> in hip hop, it was Till I Clap by Eminem. Oh, without a doubt. Um, I do too. And then finally, the last one was Fake Plastic Trees by uh, um, Radiohead. 
Mind you, I have left out both metal and reggae, which are two enormous categories of music for me. Um, I I love you for doing that. I did my first Holy Five, and mine go from emotions. I tried that as a category. I did. I I was like, okay, crazy by doing best love song. I was like, okay, we can do best love song, best I'm angry song, best heroic resignation. Yeah, I tried that. I can Um, tell our brains work very similarly in some ways because you have to do categories. I love it. Oh my god, that's funny. Well, thank you for spending a month on that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I hate you. I hate you. I'm really bad. I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, thank you so much. I really do My appreciate pleasure. it. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Holy Human. I hope you found this conversation and Stephen as fascinating as I did. Please let me know your thoughts in the comments wherever you're listening and share this with anyone who could use a little more flow and productivity in their lives too. On our next Holy Human, I'll be joined by internationally acclaimed expert Bethany Webster for insight into healing the mother wound. She is quite amazing, and this conversation was deep, so I'm just warning you now. (laughs) Trigger warnings everywhere, but it's so good. Everyone has to listen to this episode. She believes that the mother wound is something that we have all inherited to varying degrees, and she'll join me to discuss why this is a core wound and how healing it helps us grow and emerge as our full selves. And mom, if you're listening, you might not want to listen to this episode, or you might because we all have mother wounds and they've all been passed down from one generation to the next. So I think this is probably some of the most important work we will ever do and one of the most important episodes that you'll ever listen to. So join us next week. So join us next week on the next Holy Human. Holy Human with me, Leanne Rhymes, is a production of iHeartRadio. You'll find Holy Human with Leanne Rhymes on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the podcasts that matter most to you. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules Today, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now 
Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.